0: I heard tell I'm going to have so much fun with this for a lot of reasons I'm not going to bore you with because this is kind of like going home for me, Dale Cooper, uh, old-school, old-timey radio guy back in West Virginia. Uh, he's been the operations manager of WCHS for a long time, West Virginia Radio Corporation manager. Great guy. Been a Twitter buddy for a while. One of the reasons I got in this business, I get to talk to my Twitter buddies. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you doing this morning? I appreciate the time. All right. You know the rules of this show. Uh, if you're West Virginia-related, you get bumped to the front of the line, but Culture and politics wise, uh, we have a national, international audience. West Virginia been all over the news for the last year. Uh, They've read my writings on things like Joe Manchin and the caterwauling out of Washington about our great state. But what is your opinion? What is your perspective there? The perspective of West Virginians, because once again, we have the national media looking at West Virginia, and sometimes that doesn't match up to how West Virginia sees itself looking back out.
1: Yeah, you know, that's one of the things, and I lived out of the state for a long period of time, um, from the uh, mid-90s until uh, about 2010 when I finally came back, and um, living out of the state, as I'm sure that you found, there's there's a lot, of, um, um, a lot of stereotypes that we assume living here that people have of us, which isn't necessarily true. I, I think that a lot of times we think that people think about us when they don't. I don't think that the passive um, thought of West Virginia is anything necessarily negative. It's when things come into the to the spotlight. And if it has a negative connotation that um, you see that that happens from time to time when it when it comes from the media standpoint, when I as an example, and this isn't have, doesn't have anything to do with the national political level with like Manchin and so forth, but with uh, justices. Uh, delayed State of the Union address or State of the State address he gave the other night. He had the thing with the baby dog that he did that got a lot of traction. And of course, that's the thing that gets West Virginia into the national media. You know, it's nothing else that goes on. It's this stupid thing with the governor that happens. Whatever you think of the governor, it was a stunt thing to do. And it it was a point from him to do a stunt. I don't really care about that one way or the other. But buddies that I have that I hardly ever talk to, you know, uh, group text that I have buddies that I talk sports with and stuff like that, but not all the time, a couple times a year or something like that that i that I uh, were was friends without a state. I had people get a hold of me that day that I hadn't talked to in months. It was like what's up with the dog what's up with your governor it's like i haven't talked to these guys in forever, and suddenly it's this that that triggers them to contact me and I thought that that was probably a pretty good um, a pretty good idea of how things go as far as media. Um, as West Virginia is considered outside of the state and how we see ourselves. Because I think we have a really good media inside the state of West Virginia. Our politicians inside the state of West Virginia, unfortunately, treat the media like the national media. Um, They want that same war in West Virginia that's at the national front, although there's probably not as much difference between your average West Virginians on the left and right as there are, you know, on the national level from uh, left to right. Um, As far as like with uh, with Joe goes and uh, Senator Manchin, I've interviewed him I don't know, half a dozen times or something like that. And um, Joe is um, possibly the best politician that I've ever met. Doesn't mean that I necessarily agree or like him or anything else. He's just really good at being a politician. He's positioned himself where he is right now. But I don't know why. I never, I always thought I sort of knew Joe a little bit. And I really don't feel like over the last couple of years, or at least the last year or so, I feel like I've lost a little bit of that resolution on exactly where he is. And the national media just turns it into, you know, poor ignorant West Virginia and this senator that's there who's Republican white or whatever it is. And it really misses the nuance of the situation that we have that goes on here in the mountain state, I think, um, to a lot of degree.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the reasons I want to talk to you because you are a media guy, but you do more local and state level media. We we've had the stats on. I've had journal. This is true in journalism too, not just meet print media and radio media. The nationalization of news has really changed how people perceive everything. We don't have the local media we used to have. We don't have the community media we used to have. I think this is a great loss for a lot of us, and I do, I think we're just now realizing it in the way everything gets nationalized. And that's a perfect example where people are just getting kind of the caricatured stories, not that we're not used to that as West Virginians, but you miss the real stories like, hey, here's a state that looks like it's ruby red on all those election maps, but is really, really nuanced, and there's a lot of cross ideological lines on things like environmental concerns and other things that don't fall under strict lines. You miss the actual stories, don't you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for example, um, you know, call in West Virginia Ruby Red State is is true, and there's no question. However, um, in the 2016 presidential, prom, um, uh, the primaries, Bernie Sanders was actually very popular here. Um, um, and part of that was cause of dislike for, for Hillary Clinton, of course, but there is a, a movement of that sort of a workers movement that's here that you see, usually among younger uh, folks of, of, uh, of working age that, that kind of see things. But th- an example I was thinking about after we kind of had a, a top-level discussion about this is I was thinking about how cable news has changed so much about what we see. And anytime that you take like a 24-hour news cycle and you try to cram all the news in that, that's going to be a problem. But it's even worse than that when you think about it from the dynamic of local national perspectives. If I do a local show that's 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 if I do a three-hour local show at some point and I want to put in a variety of things, not just news, but if I want to put in um, human interest stories, sports and different things like that. The the show that I actually do during uh, the statewide show that I do during the afternoons hotline kind of does that. It's not that hard to do because all the stories that I'm talking about, we can tell, we call it from a mountain state perspective. So we try to take everything and tell it from a West Virginia perspective to try to take those larger, uh, those uh, less regional stories, the more national stories and kind of marry it down into the local level. The problem that you get with like cable news is You either have you have to keep on recycling the stuff that matters on the national level. You can't do a human interest story about the charity that's down the street because the charity that's down the street from wherever your national headquarters is, isn't the charity that's down the street from whoever's watching it on the other side of the country. There's not as although it's a human interest, there's not as much human interest from a from a listener or from a a viewer who you want to, to watch and to give you ratings and stuff for something that's not attached to them. So what do you get that's attached? It's the national level politics. It's not the local level stuff. So all of the the, the 24-hour cable news services, they just pile in all the national level stuff. There's nothing local level that's on there. We've even stopped doing the human interest stuff. I remember when CNN first became a thing, most of it was not punditry. It was somebody anchoring news stories, going to different locations, talking about the stories. They would go on the locations they would present the facts, then they would move on to the other story. Now it's all national level stuff, usually political. I mean, they, they, they come out of Washington. I mean, why does it even have to, everything have to be out of Washington? But they come out of Washington, everything has to be a national level story. And um, we lose all of that local resolution. And then what do we do at the local level? We mirror, you know, we lose a lot of the local and the, lo- uh, the human interest and the local level stuff, the local sports coaches and anything along those lines because we're all into the the national political scene and we're painting everything in that same ideology. And I think we just really lose the local resolution on that. Even blurring between conservative and liberal, I think that that is much less pronounced at the local level than it is at the national.
0: And the reason for that is, and we've talked about this before, talking to Dale Cooper, our buddy from West Virginia Radio Corporation, WCHS, every day you can catch him doing various things. When you're in a community and you have to sit in a school board meeting or you have to sit in a county commission meeting, or you have to politic amongst the friends in your community, you're going to act one way. But when it's just somebody on TV in Washington or New York, and you're throwing rocks at the TV, or you're just sending a Facebook post, you get to be more vitriolic. You don't have to have those standards on you. And people kind of tend to lose their humanity and their othering a little bit. Problem is you do that long enough, it starts seeping back into your real life too, doesn't it?
1: And I think that's exactly what we're seeing happen. I think we're seeing it happen everywhere. I think we're seeing it happen from, Um, And maybe this is just the old man get off my lawn things, but uh, just civil society driving has seemed to degrade in the last five or seven years. You know, uh, um, uh, people seem to be more out for themselves and those types of things. Uh, Normal interactions in grocery stores and stuff. I mean, of course, we've seen this with the mask, anti-mask stuff, but it's gotten worse on other things, too. Just people being mad at other people for either having different opinions, different life experiences and nobody understanding that my life experience and your life experience are two different things that could lead us to having two different opinions that from our perspectives are completely legitimate. Um, it doesn't mean that you or I are necessarily wrong. It means there could be different ways to get to the same point. None of that is anything that's ever talked about at all anymore. It's all about uh, painting into the, to your side of the culture. And, and in, in West Virginia, unfortunately, we're doing that so much at our, at our political level there, and, and right now, the, the state is, is is very heavily on the red side of things as far as the letters beside folks' names that have been elected. But if you look historically at the folks that are getting elected, generally it's the same families. Maybe they've changed political identification over the last couple decades, but we're electing the same people that are doing the same things. And they're, and for some reason or another, and this is happening in all states, it's not just West Virginia, at the state level, they're determined to turn it into a national political surf, uh, circus. One article gets published in a newspaper that's somewhat critical, fairly heavy on facts. I mean, something there that you should refute fact-based, but instead it's just maligning the media, all of the media. I mean, there's there not only in there's in other states, but it's even been taken up in places in West Virginia. Should the, should the media be Um, limited in some aspects. And there's no reason to be at war against the West Virginia media. It's just accountability. If you don't want to answer the questions, you don't have to necessarily answer the questions, but to immediately take somebody that's trying to hold you accountable, even from a point of of they don't know. Here's a question that I surface. So here's the question that I would like to answer you. It's not an aha question. It's just a question. We're not answering that question because it's from the liberal media. Or what does the media know about this? That is completely voiding any chance that you have at holding people responsible for their actions in the public. If you're able to just to take one of the oversights of that and saying, that's just a way too political, we're not gonna deal with that. What are we left with as far as oversight goes?
0: Yeah. Talking to Dale Cooper, our buddy in West Virginia on Her Tell. When we come back, we're going to delve more into that. He's an inside media guy. We don't like to just talk about the nebulous media. We're going to talk about the actual business model and how that affects things. Uh, Talk a little bit more about that West Virginia media. They've always punched above their weight. Why is that? We'll get into all that with Dale Cooper right after this. Right, heard tell we're talking to our friend Dale Cooper, radio guy, WCHS, West Virginia Radio Corporation, which does great work. Um, we'll talk about the West Virginia media in a second, but let's let's back up to something because you're a radio guy. We've talked about how much media changes, but the business model is what really drives media. Something you've talked about, and we've talked about this privately, but we know Rush Limbaugh died here recently. People don't realize, um, they know his talent, whether you believed his ideology or not. Very talented man. His business savvy, the model he predicted of monetizing commentary, it's not just radio. A lot of what you were talking about with cable news, the cable news personality, all of that sort of stuff, that business model and why it's so nationalized, a lot of that goes back to how Rush Limbaugh did his business and the way people came up under that business model and modeled that. And now that's kind of where we got to where we are. And a lot of people I don't think realize that.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely true. The The amount of impact that he had on uh, political commentary space, you don't have to call it conservative or anything else, just political commentary from a, a generalist, a non-expert, you know, not somebody with a bunch of letters after his name or something like that. I mean, that's kind of where the talk radio aspect came in. But then through the EIB network and Premier and what Rush was able to do, exactly like what you said, with with finding the different elements of what he did. I mean, he, he was into periodicals for a while. People forget he had a late night show. Uh, Rush had a late night show that was on the same time as, uh, you know, uh, Carson and Letterman and stuff back in the time. I used to watch it. It was hilarious. Uh, I mean, uh, when he was creating out content and in in the perspective that he made, basically, the perspective that he created, I mean, it was engaging and good radio if you didn't agree with his uh, political philosophy that's one thing but as a guy that likes radio i can look at the mechanics of somebody that does radio right that does the ancillary promotions right that does the uh, the uh, account, the uh, program that goes along with it and i can respect all of that and all of the different areas that he was able to exploit from uh, from print media where he had eventually he got into the more of the digital things and, and stuff like that it was revolutionary for what we did in our business there's no doubt about that
0: Yeah. And what we have now is another revolution happening where technology, you know, it used to be, we've joked about it. You know, we used to pretend like we'd be on the radio when we were kids. You had to go find somebody that had tape decks and stuff. But now everybody can do this because if you have a smartphone, you are the media. You can make your own TikTok. You can make your own. I do this. I'm doing this from my home. I have a YouTube channel and a podcast and it's on radio now. This technological revolution with podcasting and what would we call it? Self-media maybe is a good term for it. This has really changed. Yeah, I mean, again. yeah, I guess,
1: um, yeah, bespoken media, self-media. Yeah, I, I don't know exactly. There's going to be some term for it probably um, in the future. But yeah, everybody can be part of the media in some way, shape, or form.
0: How does that change? Because um, I know we t- our tagline on this show is always turning down the noise. Everybody can talk now. When you're, you're a media manager, you do this for a living. How does that change the dynamic? Because it used to be you were just basically at the top end of the funnel trying to get it to an audience. Now, the audience it's almost inverted now where the audience can pull from anywhere they want. How do you get an audience's attention? Th- this is more of a revolution. This is like a complete flip of the paradigm, isn't
1: it? Yeah. And frankly, that's kind of where we're, we're fighting through right now. I'm, uh, I'm taking on some programming things that I'm trying to work through on how to kind of find a way to take traditional radio, because... Although it's a different, it's a paradigm shift. I also believe that uh, the people that are listening to content now, that are consuming content now, whether it be on uh, Twitch or YouTube or or uh, podcasts, I really think that those people are either direct or adjacent to being talk radio fans. And I think that we're really close to where we could get some of those folks over. Right now, I think there's too much of a difference between people that think of talk radio, frankly, as being what Rush was. And then podcasting or, or um, uh, independent fare being more like what podcast or maybe NPR or something like that is. And I think I don't think there's much of as much of a distinction between that. And then when it comes to what individuals are doing, I mean, it's amazing that you get people who start their sub stacks. Um, they have their own newsletters. They have their 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 pages. They don't have any necessarily uh, uh, education in the field or something like that. They're just they, they're either self-taught. And there's a lot of these people, sure, there's a lot of junk. You can find a lot of junk, but there's a lot of people that do such exceptional work. And I think as professional broadcasters, we have to find a way to either invite them into the fold or adopt some of the styles it is that they're doing in order to stay relevant, because people are going to be consuming more of that type of cons- content than what we consider to be the professionally produced content. I don't know that, uh, that uh, there's going to be much of a market for that in five years.
0: No, because what it is is, I think people want real, and when things went nationalized, there's a lot of co- you know everybody copycats everybody. We all we all do that, but that national, it's just it gets to be so much sameness that people just want something different. Uh, let, let's loop back to where we started because I always want to talk West Virginia with folks, but I've said it for years, and you mentioned it without having to be prompted. West Virginia has always had media that punches above its weight. They've had excellent media. Um, the Charleston Gazette had a Pulitzer so in recent memory. Um, WCHS, the news station, Metro News has always been good. What is it about West Virginia media, why they're so good? Is it out of necessity because it's kind of all we got because <laughs> it it went from one dominant party to the other dominant party? Uh, there's been all kinds of government accountability issues. Is it just people wanting to know what's going on? Why is the media in West Virginia so good when by all accounts, it probably doesn't have any right to be as good as it is?
1: I'll take a swing of that. Just from my perspective here in, in Charleston and in, uh, being the program director for WCHS, um, as far as swinging out of, the, out of your, uh, your market, uh, CHS has know, 20-some Marconis, I think, uh, a bunch of Murrows um, on the national level, not just okay. coverage. We've beaten out much larger stations. I think our flood coverage in 2016 beat out the Muhammad Ali and the Pulse nightclub shooting um, for stories of the year on a national level. Um, and that's not so much to brag as it is, I don't, I think the media is very good. And, and certainly the people that I work with here in our newsroom, I would put up against anybody in the country. But, but I think that in West Virginia, with it being such a small state, relatively speaking, and with the... Uh, impact points being fairly condensed mostly to Charleston. I think the reason that you get media that does a pretty good job here is there's less, uh, hills that you have to defend or there's less places that you have to go to for the story. If you can stack pretty well in Charleston, you know, most of our national or statewide news, although, uh, uh Metro News is the statewide network that is officially ran out of Morgantown. All of our statewide news is really generated here in Charleston, and the Charleston reporters that, uh, that do that are the ones that, that put that together. And I think that that's because, you know, obviously being focused here in Charleston, and that's where all the stories come from. So if you're canny and you have good reporters that you can staff, you can actually focus in on just a, a relatively limited regional area and, uh, and develop a really good news network and, I think, uh, and, and, and surface some really good stories. And I think that's one of the reasons Um, And we just attract. I think we attract a lot of people that that want to get a little bit uh, into the muck a little bit because covering West Virginia um, as a journalist and getting into all the things that has to do with energy and poverty and drug addiction and stuff like that. It's kind of a dirty business. I don't mean unethical. I just mean it's not the most comfortable stories. And I think we have some people that uh, that are willing to tackle those stories.
0: And it's very interesting that people for all the stereotypes and all the hillbilly jokes and we've heard them all. Almost all the relative issues uh, on a national and even international level, all those issues are right there in West Virginia. We've got poverty. We're ground zero for the opioid epidemic. You want to talk energy and environment? We're ground zero for all that. Government programming, things like the Build Back Better infrastructure. You name the story, West Virginia has a little bit of a microcosm to it in a relatable way. Um, just to put a bow on this before we had to let Dale Cooper go back to doing his day job. The thing about West Virginia that always uh, grabs me, whether I'm telling a story or explaining to somebody else is the people. You talked about the media. One of the reasons they have such great stories, though, the people of West Virginia, you've left, you've come back. I've been back and forth. I'm trying to get back here, hopefully in the next few years again, full time. My family's all there. What is it about the people of West Virginia that makes it so compelling in all these stories?
1: I really think that that is um, at its core, I think, West Virginia, whether you're you're looking in, in the communities that have been ravaged by drugs, uh, industry leaving, whatever it might be. You're looking at uh, the, the urban communities where there's problems with with crime or drugs um, and whether that be. Uh, um, majority white or minority black or whatever it is. I think the one thing that we get in West Virginia, because we're kind of a small state, everybody within communities knows each other um, to a large degree. I think what makes the stories here so compelling is because it's such a, at a, such a human level um, within a relatively small um, uh, slice of the state, you see the spectrum of life. You can see from, from, uh, you know, the wealth living in opulence all the way to, um, relatively rural areas. I mean, I live in Charleston. Obviously, my mom lives in a little town called Beaumont. that's near Clendenin. It's a 45-minute drive. She doesn't have cell, cell phone service. The only internet service she has is satellite service. I mean, it's like I literally lived in uh, South America for a while at the Amazon Basin. I had better internet service uh, there and cell service there than my mom does 40 minutes from a capital city in the United States. So I think in West Virginia, because you have that range within such a small Area, I think that's the reason the stories become so compelling, because it doesn't take very far to step from some sort of a, of a story about uh, uh, industry and wealth. And then you just take two steps over and you're across the creek and suddenly you're talking about poverty and drug addiction. And it's all within a football throw of each other. I mean, it's, that makes it pretty compelling, I think, on its own.
0: Yeah, and we could do uh, multiple stories on uh, Frontier, but we won't because I'll start getting upset because they're a mess. Uh, Dale Cooper, thank you so much for the time today. Let folks know where you're at, what you're doing, how they can follow you on social media because you're a great follow. And also when they have a West Virginia story about Joe Manchin or Baby Dog or anything else where they can get good information directly from the source from that great West Virginia media we've been bragging about.
1: Yeah, that's right. So uh, locally, hyperlocal in Charleston, you can go to wchsnetwork.com. That's where all of our local uh, stories are published on Facebook. You can do the same search and we usually uh, mirror all the stories over there. Uh, statewide for the uh, for the network is wvmetronews.com. It's actually the most visited uh, website in the state of West Virginia that originates in the state of West Virginia. I forget what the numbers are off the top of my head, but it is uh, very impressive. Uh, they do Sports, uh, live sports scores on there. So on Friday Night Lights, if you're looking for sports, you can find it there. Live election updates during elections and stuff. So that's where we really like to pin our, um, our accuracy from. One line I can found, it's at OnAirCoop on Twitter. That's at OnAirCoop. Um, and uh, you can find the link to the rest of my stuff from there. I usually use the same handle everywhere else that, uh, that has to do with radio. And then if you have any uh, stories or anything that you want to send, you're more than welcome to do that. It's uh, dell.cooper at wvradio.com. Dale.cooper at wvradio.com.
0: See how he put his radio voice on there right at the end? That was good stuff. That was high quality. Except Um, I'm losing it. (laughs) I don't know why. I've
1: been losing my voice a lot the last couple months. Yeah,
0: Dale Cooper, I appreciate your time, my friend. I'm being a homer, but look, they don't give Marconis away. Uh, West Virginia media really is that good. Go to the source. I'm being a homer about it, but they really, really are great stuff. Dale Cooper, thank you so much, sir. We'll definitely have you back when we got some more West Virginia stuff we need to dig into, my friend.
1: Andrew, I appreciate it. Take care, man.
0: Thank you, sir.